This is my own private domicile and I will not be harassed! Bitch! Gangsters, what's up guys? What's the grant to a motherfucker like me? Can you please remind me? Get the world by the tail! Fat broads and horse-faced lesbians. Cute as shit. Oh, 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 skip, skip, skip. If you don't chew big red, then f you. That's so horny. Could you imagine if I hit the old water pipe with that thing? Oh. Great cash, homie. Three, two, one, let's fuck! Everybody's got to hear the shit on W Balls, W Balls, W Balls. of the Do Not Listen to This Podcast, and this is a very, very special one because we are not only doing an episode of the Conversation Series, it is a couple weeks after my birthday, so that's also very special, and also we are having one of my favorite people ever onto the show today to talk about a very interesting variety and myriad of topics that she knows very well that we have talked about personally for the duration of our friendship over the last couple of years, and she is the great and powerful Lene Brentley, and she joins me now. Lene, welcome to the show, and thanks for coming on. Hi, Sam. Thank you for having me. I am really excited to be here today and to have this experience and this conversation with you and share yeah. it with everyone. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm super pumped to have you. And I think that, you know, a lot of people, it, it's funny because like I kind of bring a lot of people on who obviously like I'm not bringing like, you know, the president of the United States in my podcast. I'm bringing more of like a common man, common woman perspective on kind of a lot of different things. And I think that as we make our way into a lot of this stuff, that's what's become really, really relatable about it because these ones have been easily the most popular ones in the podcast and it's for a reason because a lot of people identify with a lot of the guests and where they want to go and I think that based on you know what you and I have based a lot of our friendship on which is being very open and vulnerable with one another about our lives and about the things we've been through I think it's going to be really really insightful for a lot of people yeah exactly I agree you know like myself when I'm like listening to podcasts and as a consumer like I want to hear the shit that I relate to um so I think it's really cool that you like you said you're bringing on the common person because we want to hear from other people like us you know like I don't care like how Kim Kardashian is like getting through the day that's right I need to know yeah. like how someone like me is getting through life well I mean I, I don't like are there podcasts about how Kim Kardashian gets through her day like is that a thing like I know Meghan Markle's kind of doing something like that now I don't know if like I don't does Kim does she doesn't have a podcast does she no, no, she doesn't. I just picked like the most influential, like oh, okay. a field person I could think of. Okay, okay. <laughs> I was about to, I was about to say that would be that would be a a very bizarre and a very interesting podcast. That would be that would be very very interesting. But this one's going to be better because we are talking about a lot of very very interesting and very very just wide ranging topics. Like I said earlier, because. I think when I talked to you about this initially a couple of weeks ago and, you know, when I broached the, the topic with you and, and you were always one of the first people I wanted to interview when I started this, I don't know if I've told you that before, but you were always one of the people who I wanted to kind of have come and talk and really tell your story and kind of how, your perspective on the world. Because I think I've known you now, I think we've been friends for, what is it going on almost four years at this point? Yeah, about four years. Four myself. years. 
Yeah, for four years at this point. So like four years, like the four year ago version of Lene is much different than the four year old version or the four year later version of Lene that I'm looking at now. But so much of that person is the same at the same time, which is a really, really funny paradox. And I think that that is also something a lot of people can relate to because a lot of people can change a lot about themselves, but I don't think a lot of people can change themselves at the core of who they are. And I think that's kind of where I think you play a really, really unique you know, role in all of this is because you have a lot of those elements of kind of the person who is so different, but yet is still so the same at the same time. And I think it's what I admire about you, perhaps most of anything else. Thank you. Like that really means a lot to hear because, you know, I think of the same thing about myself when I think back to who I was when you met me four years ago. Oh my God. Like I was absolutely like unhinged to be honest and but at the same time you know I was still as caring and as emotionally aware as I am now so I you know back then I had these great qualities that were kind of buried by this persona and this identity that I was crisis to be honest that I was having Um, and throughout the years I've been able to just kind of like refine myself and you know get to this person that I am today and thankfully I've been able to have you on the journey and you know, you've watched this whole thing unfold. So it's going to be really cool to talk about today how we've all came to be here. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's, it's funny, because, you know, like, I, I have kind of witnessed, you know, front page, kind of everything else. And I've witnessed you go from a beautiful person to an even more beautiful person in a lot of ways. And it's going to be really, really cool to see how all that stuff kind of manifests itself. But I think where it starts, and where it starts with me, and kind of, I think, you know, we were talking about my book earlier, and where it kind of all stems from is, how we grew up, who we grew up around, all that other sort of stuff. So, and I know I've asked you about this and I've heard some things that you have said previous. I don't think that we've ever dug into it really specifically, although I know I think the building blocks of a lot of the stuff, but go into your background a little bit. Like how, how really did you grow up and who did you grow up with? And I would say the second part of that question is how do you think that foundation of that portion of your life shaped your worldview from a young age as you were growing up? Yeah, so um, I grew up um, raised by a, I'm going to say a single mother, but I will dive into that a little bit more later as to why I put, I'm going to say air quotes around that. Mm -hmm. Um, And my three siblings, my, I have a little sister, she is four years younger than me. I have a little brother, he's 11 years younger than me, and then a one year older brother. But throughout most of my childhood, you know, it was just my mother, my older brother, and my younger sister and I. And, um, you know, we weren't well off. We weren't in the highest um, socioeconomic class. We were pretty low, pretty poor. Um, And, you know, we faced a lot of hardships that the typical family doesn't face. And that has, you know, impacted me a lot throughout my life. So uh, when I was first off, um, to explain why my dad isn't in the picture, he was in prison um, when you know, I was born and he was in prison throughout most of my life. And with that hardship and, you know, having to deal with um, the systemic racism and the mass incarceration around that um, and the toll that it took on my mother to try to kind of maintain that relationship, um, not only affected me, but led into, you know, them parting their ways. And she found herself in a relationship with my stepfather, who is now um, my younger sibling's father. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was around for quite a while. And, you know, it wasn't the picket fence, happy family that every child wants, you know, we were, he was very abusive. 
Um, to sum up my childhood, it was domestic violence at all of its worst. And, you know, I got to live a childhood that, you know, ended at a very young age. Like I would say my childhood yeah. ended the day he walked into our lives. Um, and so it just transpired over the years. And, you know, it started when I was about five years old and it was um, just physical. And then they had split up and we had relocated and moved to Ohio. We were originally living in Pennsylvania. Um, and then around age nine, you know, they found their way back to each other. And that was just kind of round two of like the worst uh, thing that could ever happen to a family. Um, you know, the abuse stemmed from not just physical to mental, emotional and physical abuse. Um, sorry, not physical, sexual abuse for me. Mm -hmm. um, and so that really had a long-term aspect on, you know, everything that I do. I had to watch my mother get abused, my siblings and, you know, endure it myself. And so I had to deal with things that, you know, um, my peers weren't dealing with, you know, not uh, every 10 year old is worrying about whether or not they are going to be harmed when they get home. But um, yeah, it's, I'm thankful for it now in the sense that I've been able to grow a lot and learn a lot from it. And thankfully I'm in a position today where it's not um, as indicative to what I'm going to do with my life and how I behave. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, that's, I, I knew, like I said, I knew some of that. I didn't know all of that. So that was, thank you for sharing. That was really, really, you know, very open of you. And I think the, the one thing that stuck out to me, what did you learn from your mother during that time? Uh, what did you learn about life from your mom during that time? Because it sounds like she was basically the one, besides your siblings, obviously, but like one stable adult figure in your life that you could really look to for a lot of strength in that sense. Um, so she was kind of like unavailable in that sense um, because she was facing so many things within their relationship. Um, but thankfully, I our grandparents were really close, my mother's grandparents. So they were, my grandmother was kind of that maternal figure that I relied on and my grandfather. And, you know, I don't want to paint this sense that my life was just always shit. No, for and, sure. Yeah. You know, yeah, you know, like we, we had good days and there were good memories and, you know, I love my family to death and we definitely have moments we can look back and smile on. Um, but in overall, I just think I spent a lot of time of my time alone. You know, I stayed in my bedroom a lot. I kind of just removed myself from um, the situations most of the time. But to build on, you know, what you're asking with my mom, you know, because she was going through so much, I had to kind of take on that maternal role for my little sister mm -hmm. um, and for my brother and kind of um, just naturally I took like that leader role and I, you know, it was just the shoulder that they could cry on or, you know, that I was supportive of them and everything they did and was just available for them in a way that I never got or they weren't getting any where else but um you know they my mom and my stepfather ended up splitting when I was about 12 so after that you know everything changed drastically you know we were able to heal as a family and yeah 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 no that, that that's really great it, it reminds me and I think I, I we've definitely talked about this before in the sense where you know, both of us had to kind of pick up a really big responsibility and a really big burden as we were growing up. Obviously, we were in different circumstances, my sister being 
pretty severely de uh, developmentally disabled, you kind of being in that, you know, single parent household where you kind of had to do the pick up the slack from, I would say, the one parent to being two parents in that kind of a sense and kind of a non-traditional family structure. So was there a, like, what did, because for me, when I think about that time, when I was really kind of picking up a lot of the burden for my parents, it was both very good for me and very bad for me in a lot of ways, because the, the you know, the good part was that I learned how to be responsible. I learned kind of what being an adult was from a very, very young age. But the bad part of it was, at least for me, and I don't know if this is a guy girl thing, or if this is just a, like, maybe just where we were in life at that point, but I had a very, very hard time relating to people my own age. And mm -hmm. I always, you know, I always gravitated toward like the adults at birthday parties and I could never like, you know, laugh at the same things that people were laughing at when we were in school and all that kind of stuff. So did you, did you experience something similar or kind of what was, what was like that stratification like for you when you kind of realized it happening in your social life? Um, yeah, that's a really interesting um, thing that you bring uh, because as I was thinking about this podcast earlier, you know, what kind of topics I wanted to address, I, you know, realized um, that there's a term I would coin it and it would be trauma given qualities or, you know, childhood given qualities and the good and the, the bad and everything in between, you know, like from what I went through, I was, you know, um, uh, very emotionally aware. I was in tune to everybody's, you know, uh, body language, because that's how I had to gauge, you know, my family members around me. But mm -hmm. at the same time, that made me very emotionally mature for my age. So I was able to appeal um, to older uh, individuals, but that more so was prevalent in, I would say, my relationship aspect as a, you know, 14-year-old young girl, I wanted to go off and date like an 18-year-old man or a 20-year-old yeah. man. So, um, yeah, to go back on what you were saying that I experienced that too, but more so in the sense of relationships. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I, one more question kind of about going back to your parents. So I think you, you said something a little bit earlier, kind of about how your mother went to basically, she wanted to maintain at least a little bit of a relationship with your birth father. Was, was that mean like you had a, you would go visit him when he was in prison or he would come out to visit you when he was out of jail or, or what was that like if you, if you wouldn't mind sharing? Yeah. So um, while I was younger, we would go and visit him. And right. I actually have like a vivid memory of like visiting him once just um, in the prison, which is also another crazy thing to experience as like a young five-year-old oh, yes. girl. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's definitely not all oranges to new black in there, I will tell you. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it was weird in the sense that, you know, I was surrounded by all these scary men, but uh, yeah, we would just go and visit him a couple of times. He would send us mail and he would send me books in there. Um, but yeah. That's awesome. Very, very cool. It, it, well, it's, it's cool that, you know, you, your mom did kind of still make an attempt, even though she kind of had a lot of, you know, different and I would say unorthodox relationships with men in her life that she really wanted to make sure that you, she knew, or that you, I would say you and your siblings knew who their birth father was like kind of they had you know you didn't have obviously the most traditional relationship with him in a sense but he was at least still you knew who he was you knew where he was you kind of knew kind of you know what role he played in your life all that sort of stuff and I think that's that's very evident when I talk to you because I think it's it's very interesting when you talk to people who either don't have the best relationship with their parents or really never knew their parents or grew up in kind of a, a non-traditional family structure and me coming from a traditional family structure that was a huge kind of a red pill moment for me when I went off to school and I think especially when I got to know someone as well as you from someone who did not really grow up with that was that 
I got to find out how that all those little like psychological twerk or, or, or not twerks. Oh my God. Uh, that psychological tweaks inside of your, inside of your brain that really um, just kind of make, make you, I would say, just perceive things differently and stuff. I find that very, um, very fascinating in a lot of ways. And so, which leads me back, I would say then to um, the foundational people in your life that you kind of look to in the role model sense, because you had mentioned, and I, I want to get into your grandparents a little bit more too, because from what you said, they were probably, besides, I would say the people you've already mentioned, the people you looked up to in a lot of sense as your de facto kind of a parent or a role model type of thing with how to be an adult, how to model their behavior, all those sort of things. So is that, would that be the case with your grandparents? And if so, uh, what, what did you really look up to them for and why? Or was it somebody else? Yeah, it would definitely be my, um, I would definitely say it was my grandparents. I had from, you know, a really young age, I always had a special relationship with my grandma, you know, they lived um, across the street from us when I was oh, cool. younger. Yeah. And it was really awesome because I could just go across the street every night. You know, my mom cracks up to this day because it would be late at night and I'm like five years old. And I'm like, okay, mom, I have to go over to grandma's for nine o'clock, Rachel Ray. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm so, so excited to, yeah, to go watch this cooking show at my grandma's house, all cuddled up. We would just watch TV, eat snacks. Um, and it was awesome. And we had like a summer boat where we would go and spend the summers on the river. And so to build on what I was saying earlier, yeah, I kind of like relied on them for that nuclear family structure that I was seeking at home that I wasn't really getting in that normalcy and that um, because the environment I grew up in also gave me this perspective that like it was just happening to us for some reason, like nobody oh, else, really? everybody was yeah, like everybody was living this picket fence, nuclear hmm. family life. And for some reason, we were just really unlucky. So it almost gave me, um, like when I would go to my grandparents and I'd be hanging out with my grandma, it was like a second identity. And I would be pretending almost that I'm living in this perfect family in this perfect house because things are okay in there. Mm -hmm. um, but it was really special to share those moments with them and to share the moments where all of our family was together. But my grandparents also in their career wise were role models for me that because my, my grandfather was open about his career. Um, and yeah, so they provided a lot of structure for me in, in a lot of ways. Yeah, different, more kind of supplemental things other than kind of what you directly sourced from, I would say, your parents or somebody else. They kind of gave you, I would say, an additional source of like, I can be this and take this from this person, but I can also be this and take that from this person at the same time. It doesn't have to be so one dimensional who you kind of look to in a lot of ways. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. And so you go through all this, fast forward a little bit to the time, I think like a little bit before I met you. So I was going to say you are two years younger than me. I met you when I was a senior, you were a sophomore at this point. And so a lot of people, you go into college, you get into this great university, you go to Ohio State, you're kind of, you kind of, did you have, did your family have a background? Did your, did your grandparents go to college? Did your parents go to college at all? No, I'm a first generation college student. Okay. I think, I think I remember you saying that because I was going to say, so that was like a, a leap into a very, very brave new world at that point, because you had really all that experience that your parents and your grandparents had about life they never really had much to give you in terms of this. So you're kind of being the first person to really break in and see what that whole new water is like. And so 
I think what a lot of the identity around, uh, around college is for a lot of young people, and this is why my parents and my dad, I think especially stressed me to go to college is because my grandfather lost his job when he was an air traffic controller, when president Reagan laid off the air traffic controllers in the early eighties. And so he lost all of his ability to earn a stable income. And so that basically they had to shove all of their college savings into basically just survival mode for a lot of other things. And so they couldn't go away to college, even though my grandparents would have liked them to go at least a little bit further. And they had to go to either a local community college or they went to Cleveland state or something like that, where we both are from and all this other type of things. And so we're kind of, you know, so he wanted me to go away and my brother to go away specifically because he wanted to give us what he had never had. And so I think that's been baked into the cake for a lot of people that, especially young people that are, they're going to go away on this brave, big, brave adventure out into this new world where they're going to experience all the things they really couldn't get at home. They're going to be free for the first time in a lot of ways they're going to do everything else. So in your sense, as someone who is going not only from like zero to a hundred, you're going from like a zero to a thousand because you're getting out of like everything you've ever known at this point. What did you see college as when you first started going to it? Like when you, when you got into Ohio state and you get that great news and you're going to go and you're going to take your life to the next level, you're going to kind of get an opportunity to do something really cool with your education. What did you see that initially as other than obviously getting into a good school and going to earn a degree somewhere? Yeah, so I saw that as an opportunity to completely rebrand myself because um, let's just be honest, high school fucking sucked. It's um, <laughs> and you know, I also grew up in like small bumfuck town, Ohio. You know, yes, there you did. Were... Yes, yes, you did. I thought I did, but yes, obviously after I talked for you and 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 Hope, yes, you did. Yes. Yes. Um, I'm talking like it, that was another thing that absolutely blew my mind when I got to Ohio State is I'm just meeting people who graduated with like 600 kids in their class. And I'm like, there were 115 of us. Yeah. 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 So most of these people's graduating classes are larger than my entire high school student body. Mm -hmm. So just that's, um, you know, environment alone is a completely different experience than what someone from a large high school would have experienced. So I came from this very clicky, everybody knows everybody's business town. Mm -hmm. And with that came, you know, identities that other people put on me and um, just drama. And, you know, everybody understands what that's like. Mm -hmm. So when yeah, when I got the opportunity to go to a school as large as Ohio State, it absolutely blew my mind. And it was Christmas morning. And because I was just excited for the opportunity to do what I want, you know, mm -hmm. um, it's my first time away from people who know me. Absolutely nobody here knows me. I can do, be whoever I want. I can change my name. I can change the way I dress. And nobody would know that I started doing that yesterday. Yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, it's the first time I'm moving out and I lived in a dorm. I'm not living with a parent. So I don't have to explain myself anytime I go anywhere. Mm -hmm. um, it was just this newfound freedom that absolutely I was so excited to dig into. Um, and I just wanted to completely change my identity and who I was as a person. Um, you know, I spent, I was 13 years as a cheerleader growing up and mm -hmm. My mom really wanted me to keep doing that in college, but I was sick of that identity. So I started dancing instead on a small student organized uh, dance group. Mm -hmm. I started questioning my sexuality. I started drinking a lot. I was 
you know, going to frat parties, going to large events with people that I've never got to experience before. Mm-hmm. So yeah, college was definitely like everybody else. I went absolutely batshit crazy. Um, and I just became more independent than I had already been. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was, were you a naturally independent person growing up? I, I would, I would assume you were, but I, I want to make sure that I'm getting that right. Yes. I've always been hyper independent. My mom could even tell you that. Um, just even, you know, like when I was a baby, I didn't like being held. I would cry if somebody picked me up. So <laughs> the second I came out, yeah, the second I came out of the womb, I'm like, I can do this on my own. Um, so when I got to college, I only became more independent in the sense that, you know, I was checking in with my mom less. I was wanting to explain myself less to people and things like Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. So you kind of framed your opportunity or what you framed your and what you kind of put your opportunity up as is something to really change who you were as a person, your identity, your values. And so did you, in that sense, did you kind of want to do that as something where I want to fundamentally change who Lene Brentley is, or did you kind of want to change certain things about yourself or did you want to kind of see where everything was, or did you want to just completely, you know, overhaul it, revamp it completely later. So it'll be, um, so like basically when you say you wanted to go to college to kind of change yourself and your opportunity and everything and kind of how you saw yourself and how you perceived yourself, did you do that primarily? Like, did you want to change like who Lene Brentley was at her core at that point? Or did you want to just change certain things about yourself? Or did you want like a total overhaul of the system at that point? Um, I think I was just wanting to feel more whole. I think I was just wanting to have it all figured out that I didn't care what it took to get there. You know, if I had to change my core values, I think I was willing to do it. If I had to change my hair, um, the way I looked, I definitely found myself in a position where I was heavily reliant on external validation, um, especially at that point in my life to define my identity. So, and that's exactly what that rebellion phase, I would call it, uh, was fueled by. Um, because I left high school wanting to change my identity because, um, everybody else there was defining me, but I just ended up going to college, um, basically begging for those people to define me too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Because, you know, I, I knew like that was kind of what I got introduced to when I first met you, because I met you through a mutual friend and kind of, I, I was all this other kind of stuff. And I'm like, wow, this kind of crazy you know, whatever, wild, very fun, very, you know, enjoyable person to be around all this other kind of stuff. But at the same time, and you, I think later grew into this, I would say, and I, th- I think you would probably agree with this is that even though back, you know, when I knew you, when you were kind of going through like the typical like college partying phase, like figuring yourself out again, the whole thing, you were always very, very introspective and very, very deep in a lot of different ways. And I think that was what I think was very, because I, you know, I, we've talked about this a bunch. I mean, like, it's just, and I've written about this a bunch where like everyone, especially I think women at college for a lot of things, they kind of just kind of conform more towards each other inward socially. They kind of all talk the same, act the same. They like the same things, all that other sort of thing. And you were this very, to your point earlier, you were a very independent person. You were kind of very much your own individual person. You did the things that kind of a lot of people did when they went to college. Like you went out and you 
partying, you drank, and you kind of were this very independent person. But also, you were this very, very deep and I would say, you know, soulful individual at the same time, because you were always able to really connect to people in that type of way. And I think that speaks to a little bit to the maturity aspect that you kind of went through earlier, because you did have to grow into maturity when you were very, very young, like I did. And I think that was kind of what looking back on it, I recognized about all that kind of stuff. And I think that was very, um, that was very interesting. You were able to kind of pull off both at the same time, because usually you kind of have to grow into that, I think for a lot of people, but you were able to put on one hat or the other, basically, whichever situation, in whatever situation it was. Yeah, so that totally touches back on, um, you know, what I was saying earlier, the trauma given qualities, I think that is definitely one of my largest ones. Um, And I'm really grateful for it, because that has always been something about me that I actually love. I just love um, raw emotion and digging in deep and just being real um, from one human to another. So um, it's always been prevalent in all of my different phases. And, you know, I think I've always had these core values, these core qualities um, about myself, that being one of them that were always shining through my personality, but I was trying so hard to do other things to cover them up. But no matter what I did, um, you know, as you could see, they were always there. Mm-hmm. Would you say that you are, and this is not, I don't want this to be charged at all, but would, did you, would you say you're emotion, you're an emotionally driven person? Like you lead with your heart more than your head? Oh, for sure. Um, I'm definitely someone who wears their heart on their sleeve. Everything I do um, is like more emotionally reacted. I definitely speak before I think. Um, And interestingly enough, I, um, in my sophomore year of college, I was dating a guy for like a month. Um, I would, you know, I'll give us a couple months to include the talking phase, Mm -hmm. but um, ultimately, and before I had gotten with this guy and I had seen this happen in multiple relationships or situationships or whatever you want to call them that I was in. When I had first gotten involved with this person, he's not really emotional in the sense of talking about his mental health, like what state it's in, the kind of emotions he feels when he's by himself. Um, And then ultimately we ended up breaking up because he realized that he was severely depressed. And Yeah. And when he broke up with me, it was thankfully, I mean, it was in a sweet way. He's like, you know, you've done a great job at helping me realize the emotions that I'm dealing with and your emotional intelligence is something that I admire. And, you know, without you, I wouldn't be here. So thank you for that. But like, I really need to work on myself. Um, Jeez, so yeah, that- backhanded breakup compliment. Holy shit. Jeez. I, <laughs> I don't know if I should take this in you know, should I laugh? Should I cry? I don't know. That's so funny. That's so funny. That's that. that, And and it's so apparent when talking to you, because it's kind of like, you know, there was, there was a time where it's like, you really, you kind of just went from doing one versus doing the other, at least from my perspective, to kind of combining them both into one person and really leading into your heart overhead mindset in a lot of the way that you saw the world. And I think that was there a was there a specific turning point that really you just wanted to kind of I'm going to step into who I am authentically as a person and my values and my identity as a person was there like a specific thing that you can name or reference or kind of just an overall arc that you just said you know I'm just not going to really I'm just going to be who I am and basically I'm just going to polarize whoever I want to polarize and if you don't like it then you know fuck you basically at that point 
Um, yeah, I would definitely say it was a little bit after COVID started, probably in like May of 2020. Um, eventually I just got like fed the fuck up with my shit and, you know, all of the chaos that I was causing for myself and the pain that I was causing for myself, just seeking this never ending pit of external validation and, um, wanting to prove myself and be defined as this certain person that I didn't even like being, you know, I have a very prevalent, um, and heavy presence on Instagram. Okay. I'm not going to say heavy because I was never an influencer, but you, 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 you're, you're better than, I I don't, I don't like those people. You're, you're better than most. Trust me. You're, 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 you're fine. You're fine. Yeah, no, you're, you're, you're good. You're good. Trust me. Um, but you know, I used to care, like Hope and I would sit there, like we're on vacation in Florida. We're breaking our backs to get the best pictures. I'm asking her to edit them. I'm thinking hard about my captions and that was a really huge part of my identity then. And um, funny enough, like a person I had a relationship with was like, I heard you were like famous on Instagram. Really? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I have fans out there. Like, I tell you what, I I would not be shocked. I would not be shocked at all. (laughs) And I used to just um, be so, yeah, someone actually created like a fake Instagram account. No way. Did they really? Yeah. So if they're listening, eat dog shit. Holy fuck. I, I, I never knew this. So they, they created a, a, a deep fake of you and basically were present. This is crazy. I never, I never heard about this. I don't think you ever told me about this. This is so funny. Yes. Oh my God. It was like sophomore year. Again, that was the craziest time of my life. They quite literally copied my Instagram verbatim. Um, wow. Yeah, my Instagram handle is Lene underscore Brentley. They mm-hmm. put Lene Brentley, took my profile picture, copied my bio and everything, but it was a private account. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That, is, that is so wild. Did you ever, you didn't probably figure out who it was, did you? No, I tried like going on Google, like how to hack an Instagram account because yeah, I right. was. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like dark web type shit. Yeah. Yeah, I tried so hard to get any ounce of information that I could, but I can't, I couldn't. So I just like gave up on the fact that somebody did that. But I guess, as I said earlier, that comes with the fame. That is so funny. That is, that is really hilarious. So like, I think the, the thing that sticks out to me there was that was, you know, that moment that you said like that May of 2020 moment was exactly when I left. That was when I left to move to Boston. So I remember that was like the last time I had seen you guys in person before I left and I moved to, you know, God's Boston, do my whole entry level thing, whatever. And I remember, you know, kind of feeling a lot of things during that time, obviously that, that, that period especially was very, very wild in a lot of different ways. And I remember, you know, that was right during the whole, you know, the George Floyd was not shortly afterwards. I remember, I, I, I remember after that time, I remember I texted you immediately after that whole situation went down. And it's still today, I think I've told you this before, and if I haven't, I apologize. It's one of the greatest conversations I've ever had with a person ever was because you were kind of doing what you were doing now in terms of a lot of different things. You're kind of really, really opening up about your experiences, about everything else. And I got to know you very, very intimately as a person. And, you know, it was kind of, it was just a place where there was not a lot of judgment. There was not a lot of everything else. And I I was basically saying where, like, wow, like, I mean, this, like, I, I knew that, you know, I, al- I already knew that you were going to go and have a very, very happy and successful life in a lot of ways, because you were just a very, that was just kind of the person you oriented towards being. I think, I don't know if you notice this now, but I think now that I'm 
I've been out of, you know, the college incubator for a while and I've kind of seen the real world for a little bit. You can, you can tell pretty easily. I think if you really tune into which people are trying to live a positive and happy life and which people are just set on making themselves miserable. And I think that, you know, those jump off points there, when I left and when I talked to you just kind of, you know, afterwards, something really, really did flip there. So I, th- I find that very interesting that you said that because I would have suspected the same thing too. Yeah, it was definitely like a switch just flipped. Like I just couldn't deal with my own bullshit anymore. I, COVID was an absolute shock to me, you know, as it was to everybody else. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I was like, what else can I do besides sit here and make myself miserable? Because that is what I'm doing. And, um, you know, I agree. We had a great conversation that day surrounding the whole George Floyd thing. And it's always been a huge value of mine to share compassion. But I realized I wasn't being compassionate to myself. And really what made me pissed off and fed up was I realized that I've spent my entire life just building my identity around what I could be for other people, primarily in romantic relationships. You know, I'm like, how can I be the most perfect thing for you ever? I will be, you may be this crazy girl who's calling you every night asking where you are. Sure. I'll do that. Do you want me to be this shoulder that you can cry on. Sure. I'll be that. Do you want me to be a porn star? I will do it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but it was like, so unfulfilling to yeah. see the way these people treated me. Um, and the way they just took me for granted. And yeah, I was like, you know what, I'm going to start pouring that love back in myself. And yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's funny because you, you're a very, very feminine person, but I've done a lot of research into masculinity recently and kind of everything else. And And what I think I've discovered about masculinity in general is that the one, like the very, very bottom of the, of the very, very vast chasm that is masculinity, the very, very one essential thing that starts everything else off is, and I think this might be a people thing in general, but I think it rings true, especially for men is that self-respect that you need to have for people. And that's a point I touch on in my, in my book a lot too, is that you, if you don't have self-respect for in your life and you don't practice it very, very often, you let people just walk all over you in their various different ways. And I think that for me, I was, I think in a different way than you, because, you know, I was a fat kid. I was not nearly as attractive as you are in a lot of different ways, but kind of like I was a very kind of, you know, I was, I was kind of, you know, emotionally unstable, overweight, all this other kind of stuff. I was always very, um, I was wanting to prove myself because I was I was coming from a place of insecurity in my relationships because I didn't really feel that I was good enough for them or something or, or whatever. I, I felt like I needed to, for lack of a better term, I felt like I needed to simp in all of my relationships, even with other guys. And I'm not, and I'm, and I'm straight, I'm not saying that in a, in a sexual way, but like even with like my guy friends, I would have to be like, I have to prove it to these people all the time. And I have to do this, all this, I have to fit this mold, this niche, this whatever. And <clears throat> I mean, it just exhausts you after a while like like I was I was so tired of just doing it after a while I was just like you know at the end of the day I think like I I just went home I kind of did the thing you did I was like why the why the fuck am I doing this shit like this is so dumb like it's so stupid it's such a waste of energy it's just it's it's not it's not healthy for you really at all and and I think that was kind of just it's that recognition of self-respect that really I think can kind of jumpstart a lot of very positive things most notably your respect with other people 
Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it also goes hand in hand with the fact that ever since then, and up to this point, I've just been increasing in my self-awareness. I really became in tune to how I react to everything and the emotions I feel around certain situations or just in general, or the way I treat people or what behaviors I display after a certain trigger or things like that. Um, So it goes along to say, you know, you really have to respect yourself, but you also have to be willing to look that shit in the eye um, and realize that, you know, like, hey, I'm letting these people treat me like shit because of X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That philosophy has like really gotten me far in this journey of self-discovery. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, I would say so. And I think, you know, to hop on that bandwagon a little bit, I would say the biggest, and I would assume probably, you know, the best in your scenario, obviously, because you are still with this person, change that you underwent was your, what you mentioned earlier, your, your sexuality and your kind of, you know, inner kind of conflict in terms of, you know, what you wanted out of a partner and everything like that. With your current girlfriend, Maddie, who is wonderful. I've met her multiple times. I think she's very, very great. She's very nice. She treats you well, which is what I care about. And so when, when you finally decided to go and make this a serious thing and start dating her and everything like that, what was it about her that was so appealing to you? And I would say, well, let's start there. What, what about her was so appealing to you in a lot of ways? Because I think this, this could like crack the matrix for a lot of people because you, you seem to have really, really found a really positive person in your life in many, many ways. Yeah, it's definitely, um, again, like another light switch in my life because our relationship in comparison to my past relationships are like night and day. Um, because other than her, my other serious relationship in that I was in in high school um, was very toxic. We were very argumentative. Um, he was a bit emotionally abusive. Um, but with her, it has just been, um, I'm going to also take the second to say shout out Madison Roberts. Shout out Madison Roberts, baby. Let's get it. <laughs> you are awesome. But it has just been so easy and you know, it's funny when people ask like what was so appealing to her. And I, I wish I could have more of a solid answer other than that. I think it had to have been fate um, in the sense that I, we'd met because she invited me to her birthday party, despite us never speaking in our lives. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And we like grew up in the same town. So we knew each other through mutuals, but never spoken, um, just developed little crushes on each other that no one knew about. Yeah. And I actually went to her birthday party by myself. Wow. Yes. And I'm not the kind of person to do that. But that's, a, just, that's, a, that's a ballsy decision right there. That is brave for a lot of people. I would never, never do something like that ever. Right. And I just was like, none of my friends were available to go. I really, I had the hugest crush on this girl. Like, this is my opportunity. Like, what do I do? And I just had this feeling in me. It was like, just get the fuck up and go. And I'm just mm-hmm. sitting there doing my makeup. My mom's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm going to that girl's party. And she said, by yourself. I'm like, yeah, yeah I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, we, I ended up staying the night with her and the rest was happily ever after. But um, really it was just, I want to say like my intuition, like my guts, that's what I would tell people, you know, you listen to most stories of when people find their soulmates or a really good opportunity. And it's just a gut feeling people underestimate it a lot and listening to it has gotten me, um, a lot of great opportunities and has really gotten me far. So 
that is what I would um, say was the cause of that. Cool. That's, that is awesome. Because I think like too many people try to, to your point, they try to rationalize it, right? Like they kind of say like, oh, I was like, I, I was like doing this five point plan and I was going to execute here and do all this stuff. And you're like, no, nah, I just, I fucking went for it. Like, like that, that that's kind of like, that's, that's kind of how it happens. Like, no, I just fucking did whatever. And I, I think me, I think I can especially re- re- relate with this, excuse me, but a lot of people are like, they look at a story like yours and they're just like, fuck, like, I wish I kind of had the, had the guts to do something like that, where I was just kind of like, I just went up and I asked the girl out. I did this. I asked my boss for this. I did, did this, whatever. So that's super, super inspiring. And I, I would say your relationship with her afterwards, because that was a while ago. That was what, almost three years ago by this point? Yes, about two and a half years ago. Yeah, so let's, it's been a long time and it's gone obviously very well because you guys are still together and we've obviously hung out a ton and we've when I've been back and everything else. But how has it benefited you personally to forming your identity, fueling that transformation into the person you are now? And I would say just who you are as a person in general, how has that relationship helped us? Because especially you've had a lot of different experiences with relationships in your past, both with the opposite sex, with your with the people around you in your life. So how has this one relationship specifically really helped you? It has helped me immensely. And, you know, it really has enhanced or motivated my idea that relationships enough, um, excuse me, actually not enough, but people don't give them enough credit in the sense of how much they can make you grow. If you can find the right person, the magic and the growth that can be done between both parties mutually, um, just bouncing off of each other, bouncing off ideas, bouncing off love and respect and, you know, opportunities for growth is absolutely beautiful. And it just unfolded in a way so naturally. Um, and I would say that Madison is someone who makes me feel safe when she triggers me. And that is the advice I would give everybody else is find someone you feel safe being triggered by because wow. if you're, yes, if you're going to be bar right there. <laughs> yeah yo jay-z sign me it's a bar it's a bar i'm telling you that's that's yeah. awesome advice. keep going please um because let's be real like no matter who you're dating they are going to trigger you that is just what yeah. happens in a relationship you are going to do things that they don't like and vice versa and they are going to make you feel things that you haven't felt before somebody else hasn't made you feel or they remind you of a certain bad time. And, you know, when I say being triggered by is, you know, she'll say something that just stresses me out because it puts me in a bad place. Um, But when it happens, I feel so safe. It's almost as if she holds up a mirror to my toxic tendencies and my insecurities, but she doesn't make me feel ugly about them. You know, it's truly coming from a place of love and support saying you know like hey what you when you do this it's kind of not cool kind yeah. of rude so maybe try doing this instead and she gives me grace and you know she doesn't um demean me when i make a mistake or when i repeatedly do it it is just mutual for both of us that we can grow and also the second thing i would say um is find somebody that helps you balance that masculine and feminine, excuse me, dichotomy. Mm -hmm. Um, Because because prior to Madison, I 
Um, I think you mentioned it earlier. I operated very much in my masculine energy mm-hmm. in the sense that I was very cold. I had this like fuck boy attitude, especially when I started exploring my sexuality with women. I'm like, yeah, like, yeah. I, I'm like talking to like four girls right now. Yeah. And, <laughs> right. and I think I'm like cool and I'm cold and that's hot. And, you know, I also carried that into my relationships. I didn't want to be emotionally vulnerable all the time or, mm-hmm things of that nature, but um, Madison has made me feel very comfortable in being feminine. And she, I don't have to be hard around her all the time. It's okay to be soft and I'm loved when I'm soft and it's cute. And, um, you know, like, cause I think before I was just so worried about being viewed as weak um, because that's what I spent a lot of my life being. And so, you know, Madison helped me realize that you can be both soft and strong at the same time. And that is really important. And I think if a lot of people found someone that operated in the opposite um, energy, it really comes together to make great things. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say like, I don't want you to speak for her obviously, but is she comfortable kind of operating in that masculine type of a role model? Because she's like, I've seen her obviously before she's very pretty and she is, and she is kind of all the, all these other things that are typically, you know, a student or appropriated, I would say to like a typical female person. But I mean, is she, is she comfortable kind of playing that role as the more, I would say masculine energy to balance out your feminine energy? Have you talked about that with her before? Yeah, so it actually plays out and it balances so perfectly because when I say like masculine and feminine, I mean in the sense of how we deal with our emotions and things mm-hmm. of that nature and how we react and behave with other people. Yeah, she was very much the kind of person who let uh, people walk all over her and she was a people pleaser and that sense. And she was afraid to tell people no when she didn't want to do things that... Mm-hmm they wanted to do um and whereas I was the kind of person who'd be like fuck you no like I'm not doing that um and through our relationship she's been able to grow like she's been able to find her voice and her confidence you know she her clothing style has changed a lot because she likes to dress in um what society would say is like more masculine clothing like we were just at a wedding and she wore like a blazer and pants instead of a dress yeah Um, Whereas before me, she wasn't comfortable wearing those things because she didn't want people to pay attention to her. But now she feels confident and beautiful mm-hmm. doing that. And um, it's been amazing to watch her grow into that masculine energy and develop that kind of like strength and grounding that she was missing before. Cool. Oh, that's that's so awesome. That's really, really cool. It's it's, it's funny because like the, you know, it's it's gender is such a taboo topic now but it's kind of like you know with, with you guys being in a in a same-sex relationship it's kind of it's very interesting because it's like you know i've always wondered myself like okay where, well, where does where does this go like i feel like you know girls when they're i think most girls they kind of can have a sense to kill each other when they kind of are living together even if it's roommates and a lot of stuff and I, my sister has autism so i never really got that you know straight up from from the jump but even like when with her and my mom they can get really catty with one another now and like I know a lot of uh, most of my friends are women in a lot of ways because I know they, they've had horror stories about like roommates and sisters and people that live together and everything else like that I'm sure you have more of those stories too but it's like you know when you can find someone that really you know balances out yourself and really affirms that part of you too in a way that's very constructive that's very very cool I would imagine it's very cool in a lot of ways yeah it's awesome because you know being in a lesbian uh, 
women woman relationship we gender norms are like thrown out the window like that does mm-hmm. not impact our relationship at all like we simply yeah, right. do this and you know we are genuinely in a partnership where and it's nice to not have these expectations where I feel like if I was with a man I'd have to worry about you know getting pregnant he's he's him saying I have to stay home and raise the kids while he mm-hmm. pursues his career mm-hmm. and things of that nature so it's really just been nice to um, take on life with someone that doesn't feel as impacted by those stereotypes or norms and we can just live how we want to live. Awesome. That's so cool. So, so, so cool. So going off on this to very, a very different tangent. So the one other thing that was really, really huge for you was your introduction to psychedelic experiences. And I remember you, like, this was kind of a it wasn't a shock to me given your personality, but kind of just saying like, I had only heard like Joe Rogan talk about these things. And they were very, very foreign entities to me in like a lot of different, different ways. And I'd heard about kind of, you know, movie like Pineapple Express and all these other things where they kind of did all these other type of things. And so you, I remember you, and I was very comfortable when you told me about it because I was like, okay, like it's just her in, in like kind of, you know, she can handle it in a lot of ways. Like if it was some like degenerate that I knew from like my business school that decided to move from like coke to uh, frat parties to psychedelics in his room by himself and been like okay this guy's gonna be a mess but I kind of thought you know when you started telling me about your experiences with these things and kind of how they were affecting you and your mindset and everything it was really really interesting and I wanted to get your perspective on it so when did you have your first experience with a psychedelic trip when was that um junior year of college fall semester okay yeah, I was diving into a few different drugs at the time. I was trying MDMA and uh, shrooms and yeah, shrooms were definitely a trip. <laughs> and you, right. And so you, so, and you stuck with them obviously because you, you continue to do them a little bit after. And then, so what was it about the case? Like, like, what was that first experience like that made you want to come back to it? Um, it was so bizarre to be mm-hmm. honest. Like, um, it was just, when you do shrooms, it is an otherworldly experience. And you, I have this feeling as if I stepped out of my role as Lene Brentley in this world and kind of got to play dress up or pretend or experiences of other people or just kind of get another perspective on the world. Wow. Uh, it really allowed me to look at things and analyze things in a way I hadn't before. And it was really crazy because um, the overwhelming feeling that I get like that I'm playing a character in this world is what I got. I'm like, you know, this is genuinely a simulation. Like we're just pretending. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, sure. And the craziest part was that idea that theory was affirmed because my friends that I were tri- was tripping with said the same thing. They're like, you know, why are our characters playing dress up? Like, why am I wearing this costume? Like, I'm so tired of pretending in the other world. So mm-hmm. um, it really gave me the opportunity to think about, you know, like, what do I mean when I say it felt like this world was a simulation? And, and from there, it led me to, okay, why are we in a simulation? What is the meaning of all of that? And ultimately led to my spiritual journey. You know, that's something that we have talked about on numerous occasions. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm very spiritual. And when people hear that, they typically think 
crazy crystal lady, like whatever, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. They're like, oh my God, they're like cringy TikTok girls with their crystals walking around. Like, (laughs) yes. I, I was able to learn that is so much more than that. It's not these, yeah, sure. Like crystals and tarot and astrology and all of those things are awesome tools for spirituality, but like a lot of people don't realize that it's a faith. And, um, when I was in high school, I actually was like heavily Christian. I was baptized Christian at 14 because I was so involved in the church. Yeah. That was a nightmare. Um, and then just like over the years, like I've been able to find a new faith and like spirituality and psychedelics really helps me with that because it answers the questions for me that, um, my human brain when I'm sober, I guess, can't comprehend or, you know, the question is too complex. I can't look at it from this um, first person single point of view when I'm on psychedelics. It's almost like I'm standing on top of the world looking down. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's pretty awesome. That's, that's tight. I, I, I love that. That's, that, that's cool. And so it was, it, it, I never really thought about it because you hear like the word spiritual and you hear the word religious and i think we're kind of wired into thinking that they're two different things but you describe your spirituality as a type of religion to you which is very interesting because i think like people and i take i think a lot of people who kind of are like the like you said like the crazy tiktok people with the crystals and and all the other kind of stuff they they kind of take it as not a religion when it is a religion in a lot of ways because you have kind of a a construct in the way you see the world, which is basically what, you know, a lot of what every religion really does. This is a framework in which you see the world. And this is the way you want to see the world in terms of how you broaden your mind and open your mind up to a lot of things. And I think it's, it's interesting because like a lot of the spiritual people kind of say like, oh, I'm not religious. I'm just spiritual. And you're like, and someone like you would probably say like, well, it's like, you're, you're kind of both in a lot of ways. It's like, you are, but you are also kind of really devoting your mental and your spiritual energy to this thing, which also is a very broad concept and a worldview to look into just like religion is. Yeah, exactly. You know, the, I think a lot of people shy away from saying that they are religious because of the negative connotation around that word. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, especially in recent years um, with the extremism that we are seeing, but. Pedophilia, the whole other, yeah, all that other kind of stuff. Yeah. 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 But they're definitely one and the same to me because, you know, I have a set of beliefs based around this concept of why I think we are here having this human experience. And that is essentially what it is. Hinduism, Christianity, Catholicism, you are looking for answers as to what it means to be here in our experiences as humanity in the world. Mm -hmm. And that is what spirituality offers me. And it really resonates with me. And it is truly... um, just so fascinating to learn about Mm -hmm. yeah yeah definitely definitely that is that is so cool I've never really thought about it in that way so that was very very interesting so that being said even with all these gigantic changes we've discussed you are still like I said at the very beginning the same person at your core the same beautiful person that I met all four years ago you are still that person now and going back to that why do you think that even with everything that is kind of either melted away or kind of been built up in that time frame and your whole life really. And I would say the lives of, of most people, why do you think that is that you can't really get rid of the core version of yourself? You can kind of, you know, put different dressings on it. You can kind of, you know, be uh, part of different tribes, do these different things, meet with different people, all this other kind of stuff. 
how do you stay rooted and grounded in your identity as a person when so many others, I think, just kind of casually just throw that away and like, I'm just going to hop from this person to this person and this person and, and whichever. Yeah. So, um, you know, it goes into, um, how I have my bachelor's degree in psychology and, you know, the biggest debate in psychology will forever be, is it nature versus nurture? Mm, um, yeah. but ultimately when you look at all of the data and all of the evidence, of course, correlation doesn't equal causation, but it's both, um, you know, genetics definitely play a role on who you are as a person and your core qualities and, you know, who you are at your true core mm -hmm. and the environment you grow up in and that you are in definitely has an impact on your behavior as well. Um, but, you know, all of that to say, we are just all born naturally with these values ingrained in us in our DNA. And we will can either spend our whole lives running away from them Mm -hmm. or we can embrace them and, you know, place our energy into hobbies or things that we enjoy doing. Because like we said earlier, just constantly running away from who you are and seeking external validation um, is exhausting. So that I've just come to really embrace who I am as a person. Like I'm done fighting it. Um, and a lot of it would be boundaries um, because with that, you know, you have people in your life who will want you to be a certain kind of way or a certain kind of person. And at some point you have to say like, no, I don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, give yourself the respect to say no. Um, that will definitely change your life and find ways to remove yourself from situations that you know, you're putting a lot of energy in that is draining you or is very negative in any nature. Um, so like I was saying earlier, like I don't, um, like my social media presence is like almost obsolete these days. Whereas before I was completely invested in that has helped my mental health immensely. So that was like a small change I made. Yeah. Um, definitely refining the company you keep, you know, change your friend group, change lovers change whatever the hell you want cut off family members do what you need to do to be surrounded by the people that you want to be like um it's you know it's corny but genuinely birds of a feather flock together um yeah and just give yourself grace when doing all of these things you know just when you stumble from the path or you do something that you're not happy about, just give yourself grace and remember that we're all just little children trying to get our needs met. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And ultimately be fucking unapologetic about it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I, I think there's a, there was um, one of my favorite Jordan Peterson lines I think he's ever said was basically, he said once that in an interview where he basically said like, you know, he was asked, he was asked by the interviewer, I forget who it was about kind of, you know, leaving the situation and going into the unknown, which are both very, very scary. And he's like, well, you know, the, the devil you don't know might be better than the, he's like, don't be so sure that the devil you don't know is better than the devil you do. And mm -hmm. he said, you have no, and he basically like, you know, you know, kind of where you are, you know, that's making you, and he's like, you have no obligation to do something that is making you miserable. You have no obligation to do that whatsoever. Like you have an obligation to make yourself the most constructive and positive person possible. And I think that's a, a duty of all people because I think people in general, they kind of 
are some of them adopt a mindset where it's like the more it's like the misery Olympics, the more sad and depressed and everywhere else I am, it's like the better and the more respect or currency I get in the culture from a lot of people. Well, that's not true at all. I don't know who starts peddling that. That's not true at all. Because I mean, people like to hang out with people who are not miserable. They like to hang out with positive people and nice people and all these other type of things. And it's, it's very, very crucial advice because if you don't, then it's, you're going to be a deterrent to yourself. You're going to be a deterrent to other people. And you're not going to really mesh well in any social circle, regardless of where you want to fit in or not. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of that is just like, oh, it's, feeding our ego and just wanting to like people binge on misery. And if I can give a book recommendation on that, um, that definitely helped me gain spiritual enlightenment and um, helped build some of those ideals would be the power of now by Eckhart Tolle. Um, it's beautifully yeah. written about how people are chasing that misery and it, because it, you know, fills your ego. Whereas it is just so easy to not give a shit mm-hmm. when you stop giving a shit um so yeah yeah amazing amazing so the last question if you had to boil your experience with evolving identity down to a couple things for young people who like you once were were kind of confused or kind of looking to make their own way what would that thing or those things be and I know you kind of just, just said a lot so that's the same answer the same answer but kind of like what would you say like you know with someone who wants to really look into changing a lot of things about who they are as a person where would you recommend that they start or what would you recommend that they emphasize Yeah. So if I could sum all of this podcast down, if for some reason you just skip to the end of the podcast and want to know my absolute final answer to evolving identity and transforming in the most positive way is your identity belongs to you. Know that, learn that, live that. Nobody else can define you if you do not let them. And I know that sounds very fucking generic, but I mean that to say, get to know yourself. You know, we gain labels and identities and qualities from external sources all the time. And it happens a lot of the time in an unconscious way, you know, like our career, like I have the identity that I work in human resources. Um, We gain qualities and identities from our parents, our friends, our romantic relationships, whatever it be. But think about who you are if all of those things didn't exist. If it was just you, who would you be? what do you want to be doing? What kind of things do you like? And when you truly get to know yourself and fall in love with yourself, it's, it just happens naturally. It, you won't, it'll be effortless. Yeah. Well, that's beautiful. And I do want to end with this because it kind of ties into, you know, we were talking about you ordering my book and thank you for ordering my book. And I I remember, um, I don't know if I've ever really expressed this to you personally, but the first person to text me about my blog was you ever. The first person to ever text me about my blog was you. And the first per and the first post that I wrote was what turned out to be chapter four of value economics. And so you were the first person that really kind of said to me that I could do this. And I think that, I think that was kind of in to take your spiritual cosmic sense. It was like a cosmic thing where you had told me that a very, very nice thing about what I ended up making into probably the biggest investment I've made professionally inside of my career doing this kind of content stuff. And so I think you were the perfect person to ask in that sense, because you kind of know this topic very, very innately. And I'm very, very grateful for you. I'm grateful for that. And I think hopefully if the people that read the book liked it, then that will be, they'll be grateful for you too. So 
Lene, thank you very much for coming on. This is what this has been a tremendous conversation. I really, really appreciate you as a friend, as a guest, and I hope that you know people also got a lot out of it from you. If you want to plug anything, your social media. I know you said you kind of hate social media now, but that's okay. If you want to want to plug your social media on anything, I um, you were one of the five people that followed me on TikTok. Our all of our friend group is kind of following me on TikTok. So you're one of the five people. So that if you want to plug anything else, you can. But I want to express my gratitude and thank you for just kind of coming on and spending your time with us today. Yeah, of course. Thank you, Sam, so much for having me. This has been awesome. I really appreciate the opportunity to share my story on your platform. Um, I don't have anything to plug, but I'm really thinking about going back to school to be a sex and relationship therapist. So if anybody is dealing with those issues, hit my line, find me in like three years, and I swear I can fix them all for you. That's all I have. There you go. There you go. And I will be doing so. So Lene, thank you so much. I appreciate it. And everyone listening, thank you for listening. Have a good day, everybody. Own the day. Own your own the day. Open your mind. Thanks for listening, everybody. Hopping, stopping, hopping like a rabbit. When I take the Nino Ross, you know I got to have it. I lay back in the cut, retain myself. Think about the shit and I think it well. How can I mix my grip? And how should I make that nigga straight?